Father God, we thank you that your word tells us that we can ask and we will find, that we will seek and we will find, that when we knock, the door will be opened unto us. So right now, Father, we claimed you at your word. We pray, Father, that as we ask of you, that you will speak again to us. As we knock upon, as we seek you in these moments, as we study your word together, may we find you, our joy, our comfort, our strength during these moments. And Father, as we knock, Father, may you open yourself and your word to us. So Father, we pray that you take over these times as we come to study your scriptures, as we looked at this concluding section in the book of Daniel. Speak to us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Recently, I was listening to a sermon by author and preacher Max Lucado. Max was telling a story about a time when he was about eight years old. His parents decided that Max was old enough to spend a weekend with his grandparents. But Max's grandparents lived quite a distance away and Max Max was required to take a bus all by himself, six hours to meet his grandparents. And since this was little Max's first time traveling on the bus all by himself, Max's mom was extremely, extremely worried. So repeatedly, Max's mom tells him, and I kept reminding him, you shall never get off the bus until it's your final stop, until it's your stop. Then you get out of the bus, go down, and grandma and grandpa will be there at the bus stop to pick you up. Regardless of what happens, stay on the bus until you reach your stop. And just before Max got on the bus, his father came up to him and put some money in Max's shirt pocket. And attached to this money was a note. And the note simply says, This boy belongs to Jack and Thelma Lucado. If he's lost, please call us at this number. Why did Max's father put that little note in his son's pocket? This is because the dad knew that the bus ride was a long, long trip. Things may go wrong. Treacherous accidents may happen. Young boys do get restless and weary. There might be people who might try to kidnap the little boy. So he put that note in his son's pocket that says that regardless of what happens, mom and dad are always just a phone call away. As we travel on this bus ride called life, Similarly, treacherous accidents can happen to us. As we travel on this bus ride called life, we can also get weary and restless. As we travel on this bus ride called life, there might be people who will try to lead us astray, idols that will try to gain our affection, that will lead us away from God. There will be accidents, there may be accidents that may occur, there may be trials and sufferings along the way. And what does God do? 
God comes just before we leave on this bus ride and leaves us a note. And this is what God does to us this morning as we come into His presence. He leaves us a note in our pocket that reminds us that regardless of what happens, regardless of what things may happen, you are mine. And I am just a prayer away. And what is this note that God has written that, has, that He places in our hearts? That He places in us as we leave for this bus ride. What would God write on this note? We are going to find out in our study of Daniel chapter 12 verses 5 to 13. Daniel chapter 12 verses 5 to 13 is the final section in the book of Daniel. We've been preaching through, I think this is the 16th message on the book of Daniel. And we're about to say goodbye to Daniel. And God is about to say goodbye to Daniel, and Daniel is going to make his way home. But the journey home is still very long. Because Daniel has just seen God's plan for him. That one day he will go home to be with God forever. One day after he has died, what happens? Daniel chapter 12 verse, 12, verse 2 tells us that after he has died, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. One day Daniel will be home with the Lord when he will die and he'll be resurrected and he will enjoy life everlasting. Those are God's promises to him. Read chapter 12 verse 2. But Daniel is not home yet. He's on his journey home. So on this bus trip home, God, like Max Lucado's dad, comes and drops a note in Daniel's pocket and into our pocket too. What does God have to say as we await to our home, which is when we will be resurrected in Christ's presence and enjoy everlasting life with Him? And on this journey back home, what does God have to say to us? Two lessons of this passage of scripture, two things God would say to us. The first thing that God says to us is this. God has booked a seat beside us on our journey home. God has booked a seat beside us on our journey home. The first thing that God says to Daniel is found here in chapter 5. As he's about, as Daniel's about to take a, 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 this bus ride home. This is the first thing that God says to Daniel. Then I, Daniel, this is verse 5, chapter 12. Look, and there before me stood two others, one on the bank of this river and one on the opposite bank. Verse 6, one of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the, of the river, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? In this parting section in the book of Daniel, just before Daniel takes uh, a hike back home, God gives Daniel one last tiny little vision that came out of the, the last vision. And this final vision depicts two angels, one on each side of the river Tigris, one on one bank of the Tigris and one on the other bank of the Tigris. In between the two angels stands the man dressed in linen, he was hovering above the waters and the river was running underneath him, right through him. 
and he was hovering above the waters. God gives Daniel this very strange vision. What does the vision mean? Let's break it down. First, we read that the man in linen stands in the middle of these two angels. The man in linen is God himself. Perhaps he's a, he is the incarnate Christ. Why, why, why do I say that? Earlier on in chapter 10, we find Daniel bowing down to this man dressed in linen. And um, Daniel would not bow to him if he was just an angel. The way in which Daniel speaks to him, the way this man in linen appeared and presented himself looks more and sounds more like God than just an, an ordinary angel. So I would assume that this is God, or at least a pre-incarnate Christ, standing in the middle and hovering across, hovering on top of the water with two angels on the side. So let's look at the two angels. That's the second thing I want to look at. There are two angels standing beside God, besides this angel, besides this man dressed in linen. What does this remind you of? If you know your Old Testament, you will be reminded of Exodus chapter 25, verse 22. In the book of Exodus, when God commanded Moses to build the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant had a covering. And the covering is made, is, is so depicted that there are two angels standing opposite each other. And during the Day of Atonement, God's presence will come in between these two angels and he would hover on top of the seat uh, uh, with these two angels by the side. So what is uh, here depicted here perhaps looks like the Ark of the Covenant where God is standing in, in between these two angels and he was hovering above the water. And the third thing I want you to look at is the water. God is hovering over the waters of the river Tigris. What significance is that? Again, if you understand and you've read your Old Testament, you will think about Ezekiel chapter 47. Ezekiel prophesied about the time that will come when there will be a river of water coming out of the temple, out of where God is, and this river will flood the entire plains and, and will flood the entire land. And this river will be so powerful that comes out of God and will come out of where God is. And this river is so powerful that it can make the saltiest sea, which is the Dead Sea, freshed again and the water is so fruitful that what happens Ezekiel tells us that along the sides of the river there'll be fruit trees of every kind that will blossom and their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail they will have fruits all year round so what God allows Daniel to see in this final vision is actually Ezekiel's vision coming true. Here are not just two angels standing on the opposite side of the, of the river. God stands in the center and there is a river that runs through it. What is God saying here? God is saying to Daniel that Daniel, yes, 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 I may not have, my, the journey home may be tough. You will be in Babylon. You will be in Babylon for many, many other years until you die and you see the resurrection of life. But do not be afraid. I am there with you. I stand hovering over the river of Babylon 
and I am there with you, just like how I would be there on the day of atonement and you in the uh, with the Ark of the Covenant. Here I am with you in Babylon. Your journey home may be long, but I have booked a seat beside you. What does this mean for us? In our journey home to, before we see the Lord, before we finally see the resurrection of life, God is still with us. His presence is with us. And when His presence is with us, our lives change. The river of living water that flows out of God. Jesus says, whoever believes me, rivers of water will flow out of his belly. This is what happens. The river of water of life is so powerful that everything around it changes. Even the Dead Sea becomes fresh. Even the dead of trees bud and blossom and have fruits all year round. Where God's presence is, things light up. Things become different. Sorrows disappear. There is joy even in the waiting. Even in the desert, there can be blossoms of trees budding. Where God is, His presence changes things. On this journey home, God promises to be with us. And His presence is what gives us that joy. The year was 1927. T.S. Eliot and his wife had just attended Sunday morning worship service. And T.S. Eliot has just heard his uh, pastor preach that morning. The pastor preached the, the sermon on the Magi visiting baby Jesus. And there, after church, a few hours before lunch, he had a bottle of gin in front of him and a pen on his hand. T.S. Eliot then sat down, just before his wife finished preparing lunch, he sat down to write his famous poem, The Journey of the Magi. The poem is told from the perspective of one of the Magi. So T.S. Eliot imagines himself as one of the Magi coming to see Christ. And the first part of the poem speaks about how the Magi comes to see Christ and how difficult the journey was. It was a journey of death, as he would call it. The weather was bad, the, cam the, the, the camel men that followed the Magi were cursing and grumbling. The cities that they passed were hostile. The villages that they stopped by were dirty. It was a journey of death. But there was something very haunting about the journey as the Magi makes its way to see Jesus. Many years pass. Now the Magi is an old man. He cannot forget the trip that he went to see the birth of Christ. But the funny thing is, after reflecting after all these years, he couldn't remember whether it was a birth that they saw or whether it was a death they witnessed. Because though they saw the birth of Jesus Christ, something felt like death. He felt like something had died. As he saw the presence of Jesus, at the birth of Jesus, something inside him died. And what died within him? His love for idols and his love for sin. 
What is T.S. Eliot trying to say in this poem? When we see Christ, we cannot remain neutral. We either die or we perish for all eternity. We either die to sin or we let sin consume dust. And that's what T.S. Eliot saying. When one person sees Christ, the presence of Christ will change you. And that's the promise God gave to Daniel. Yes, the journey home may be long, but my presence will change how you view the journey. Secondly, what would God say on this journey home? Not only God will be on our side, but the second lesson I think God wants to teach us is with God by our side, the root home becomes a ride of joy. The root home becomes a ride of joy. The second thing that Daniel's want, God wants to say to Daniel can be found in verse 6. Daniel cries out, How long will it be before all these astonishing things are fulfilled? How long will it be before we go home? As every kid will ask as they travel on a long journey. The man in, in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his hand towards heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times and a half a time. When the power of the holy people have been finally broken, all these things will be completed. So Daniel here asked uh, the man in linen, how long will it be before this journey home finally comes to a halt? And uh, the man in linen says, It will be for a time, times and a half a time. That is, three and a half years. But why does the man in linen say strange things like that? Why not just say three and a half years? Why not, why not just spell it out? Why time times time and a half? What on earth does that mean? Why does God say things like that in such cryptic language? That's why there are many Bible scholars that try to decipher what these mean, this, these terms mean all over, and they've wasted so much ink and paper. So why does God speak in language like this? This is because time for us is measured in terms of days, years, minutes, and hours, but not to God. How does God measure time? God measures time in terms of worship. Right from the start in the Bible, the book of Genesis, time is measured in terms of, is divided into sevens. The world is created in seven days. God created the world in seven days. Why? Because every seventh day is the day of worship. It's the day whereby God calls it the day of rest, Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. It's the day whereby God celebrates and calls His creation to rest because they celebrate together with Him His victory. God measures times in terms of worship. God gives us time so that we can look forward to the day of worship. It runs in the cycle of worship. God measures time by seven because seven is the day of worship. So when God says, when Daniel asks him, how long will it be before we go home? God uses in a, speaks in a very symbolic language. God says, a time times and a half. 
That is three and a half years. What does that mean? Three and a half is the middle or the half of seven. What is God saying to Daniel? Very soon, very soon, even before a whole run of a week of worship, even half of that, I will be back and you will be back with me. It's symbolic of saying it will be very soon. When we will be back together again. And when we, when I'm with you, time passes by quickly because we are moving on towards worship. It's a victorious ride home. You are traveling with the king. You will enjoy the victory ride with the king. Why is this important? Because God tells us that the journey home will not be uneventful. In fact, on this journey home, we will meet evil in its most extreme form. Evil will become overwhelming. That's why we need God on our side. We need the victorious king by our side so that our time will be a time of joy rather than a time of fear. Because verse 9 tells us on this ride home, Daniel is going to see evil crouching and crouching at his door. Verse 9. He replied, Go your way, Daniel, because the, word, the words are rolled up and sealed unto the end of time. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined. Yes, many will be saved. But the wicked will continue to be wicked. The journey home will be a treacherous one. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished, and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Let's pause here. God is telling Daniel that wicked, the wickedness of men will triumph. And there will come a time whereby there will be one, a person, or, or there will be a rise a person who will abolish worship. That's abolish daily sacrifices. And they will set up the abomination that causes dissolution. In the context of Daniel, this refers to Antiochus Epiphanes, the, the solicit king, when he came to the city of Jerusalem uh, much, uh, and much later in Daniel's, um, uh, from, from Daniel's time. And he will desecrate the temple. He will stop the sacrifices. He will sacrifice a pig on the altar. He will cause the Jews to eat meat. He will cause women to stop circumcising the male babies. He will cause a desolation that will bring grief to God. Evil will triumph. And Jesus later will use this language, abomination that causes desolation, in Matthew 24 verse 15, to describe the evil of what the Romans will do to the Jews. And later on, Paul and John, the apostles, are going to talk about similar devastation that we brought about by the Antichrist towards the end of the age in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, and Revelation chapter 13, verses 14 and 15, respectively. What am I trying to say here? Yes, evil will triumph. Evil will triumph in Daniel's time. Tarkin the fifth pithiness will come and he will bring desolation that will cause great grief to God's people. But this evilness will not end with the solicit king. It will continue on as predicted by Jesus, by the Romans, who will also destroy the temple and will also come 
in the last days, the Antichrist will come and will keep coming. So what does this say to us? Evil will replicate itself on this journey home. Every era, whether it's in the time of Greece, uh, of the Greek kingdom, or whether it's in the time of the Roman kingdom, or in other kingdoms to come, and the future that will come, there will be lots and lots of suffering for God's people. So we need to be careful. And what is the effect when worship is abolished, when people try to remove worship out of the equation? Verse 11, let's look at it. From that time on, the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up. What happens? There will be 1,290 days. Time will no longer be measured by the, by the Sabbath. Time will no longer be measured by God's victory when worship is being removed. And time will feel so long. It will no longer be a time, times, and three and a half. But it will be 1,290 days. Time will drag on. When worship is stopped, time drags and loses its meaning. If you get rid of God and you get rid of worship, your journey home will be long, tedious, and scary. That's what God is saying here. What does this have to say to us? Without God, your journey home will be frightening. Without worshipping God and putting God first, you will have a lot of these antichrists who will pounce upon you. When God is not the center, the journey home is not a celebratory, victorious ride home. It will be a ride filled with fear and agony. This is why Jesus is, God has sent Jesus to ride with us on this journey home. As we journey through this life, this life will become very long and tedious and frightening and filled with anxiety if worship and God is not central. It will, time will feel so long. It will no longer be just a time, a times and a half. But it will be 1,290 days. Time drags on when, what? Verse 11 tells us, when the daily sacrifices, when worship is abolished. This is why it is important that when we go through life, we need to make worship central. We need to make Jesus central. That's why God sent Jesus to walk with us through this life. Because if Jesus is not the person you worship, when troubles come, we will be overwhelmed by these difficulties, that it will consume us. But if your heart is set on Jesus and His Word, you will know that we should not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will have worries about itself and all we need to do is to focus on Jesus. And that's the difference. When you ride with Jesus, the journey becomes a journey of victory, a journey of joy. But when you ride without Jesus, you will be overwhelmed. During World War II, American bombers 
was sent across southern Europe to cripple the Nazis' oil supplies. However, as these American planes were flying through uh, uh, southern Europe, they were being shot down by the Nazis. And as the planes were being shot, many of these F uh, uh, pilots would eject themselves and fly down from the planes through parachutes into uh, southern Europe uh, themselves. And they would, we were, they, many of these soldiers, when they come down into what is often called uh, Yugoslavia, thought that they would be captured and they would be killed by the Nazis. But the Americans have already thought about this way beforehand. The American government had a partner with the peasants, the local peasants, uh, to look out for these uh, uh, American pilots as they as they come down through the parachutes onto uh, the land. And these peasants will come to look after, uh, look for these uh, 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 airmen and take care of these pilots. And risking their lives, this, uh, these peasants will, will feed this uh, and shelter these soldiers. They will rescue them, they will bind up their wounds, nurse them back to health, and then they will help them escape. So amazingly, these peasants rescued almost all the American uh, pilots that have ejected themselves and have flown down. And they took care of them. And in order to travel to safety, the American airmen had to spend weeks with these peasants, eat with them, follow them, live with them, adopt their lifestyles before the peasants could help them escape from the enemy territory to safety. And when these American pilots were with the peasants, the ride became, the ride home became not a ride of fear and terror, but became a ride of brotherly bonding, where they bonded with these peasants, where they felt cared for by these peasants, where they felt the peasants nursing them back to health, when these peasants would take care of them by providing food and cooking for them and helping them escape. Without the peasants, they would be lost in enemy territory and very soon they would be hunted down by the Nazis. But with the peasants, the peasants shielded them, protected them and helped them escape. Many a times that's how I see life. You can go through this life on your own and you will be just like these American pilots and you will be parachuting onto a land that belongs to the enemy. And when you are traveling on the land of the enemy home, you will only be plagued with fear and the unknown and whatever things may take away your joy and comfort. But God has sent us Jesus to be with us, to rescue us, and to walk with us so that the ride home will be one of victory, of comfort, and of care. And as, the, as God bids farewell to Daniel, as Daniel makes his way home, God also bids farewell to us and tells us to come with his son. So my question to us this morning is will you let God lead you
in this journey of. Father, we want to come before you and we thank you that though this is a very difficult passage of scripture to understand, we thank you that you are with us on this journey home. That even in the midst of Babylon, as Daniel had to live his many years left on this journey home, you are with him. And even in Babylon, he could feel and experience your fruitfulness. So Lord God, wherever you place us here on this earth, as we make our journey home, you are with us. And when you are with us, our lives are different. And so Father, may we cling on to the hands of Jesus. May we put him first. May we always honor him so that our journey home will be protected, guided, and led by Him, that time will flow by with joy and not with dread and fear. Father, give us a vision of Your greatness, we pray in Jesus' name.